Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. If there was one thing that defines Roadburn is the curiosity for all things heavy. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. My name's Sam. For the first weekend after Easter, Tilburg, a university town in the south of Holland, becomes a destination for curious music enthusiasts from around the world seeking to discover and enjoy up and coming and select established names in heavy music. Roadburn Festival's influence and role as a forward-thinking tastemaker is immeasurable. Every metal festival organizer in Europe and some in North America watch its announcements extremely closely and labels take careful note of its lineup. In our conversation with artistic director Walter Humachers and organizer Becky Laverty, we discussed the festival's origins, watershed moments, how curation, commissioned sets, and fan experience are approached and the festival's evolving interpretation of what encompasses heavy music. How has Walter's vision of Roadburn shifted over the last 15 years? What expectations should attendees have going into the 2022 edition? In the episode notes, you'll find links to the Roadburn Essential Sounds playlist, which is updated weekly by Walter and his team, and a catalog of professionally mixed audio streams of sets dating back to the festival's 2014 edition. Let's dive and get heavy. Becky, Walter, welcome to uh, Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure to have you on uh, on the show this week. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, uh, Alexi and Sam. Looking forward to the conversation. Great. Well, let's kick off with uh, some some basics about yourselves so that our listeners can get to know you and your voices as well. So, uh, Walter, if you don't mind, uh, would you like to uh, introduce yourself and sort of your uh, personal journey in the music industry and how you ended up with uh, with Roadburn? I'm, I'm, I'm Walter. I'm 56 years old, have always been a music nerd since I was like 15 started out in youth clubs listening to heavy metal all that kind of like things went into did something completely else in between like still like being a big music nerd but not working in the music industry but still booking shows at the youth club as a volunteer uh, studied like and tried to get a normal job so to say but in the end, the music biz was calling me and I just wanted to um, display my love for like all things underground and, and heavy music and ended up as a music journalist, first as a hobby, later on as a, as a professional. But when the magazine that I worked for called it a day, a friend of mine started a website and that was Kristen Roadburn. And then the rest is history. No blue plan, of, uh, no, uh, no, no blueprint, no plans. Just we, uh, we just did it. And suddenly we are here in 2021 and there is the Roadburn Festival. Becky is here. 
I'm working already for quite some years with Becky and again, everything just unfolded before my eyes and many other eyes uh, as well. Becky, do you want to uh, uh, give us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, I have been a music publicist um, for uh, about 14 years now, I think. Uh, prior to that, I just had a, a regular old job in a university. Um, but I've, same as Walter, really, I've been a music fan for as long as I can remember. And um, yeah, I became a, a music publicist set up as a freelance about 14 years ago. Um, I've worked for all kinds of uh, independent bands, uh, small labels, bigger labels um, over the years. And um, I attended Roadburn a few times before I started working for Roadburn. So I met Walter at um, the festival and we sort of knew each other socially a little bit and he came over to London, <laughs> stayed at my house, slept on the sofa with my cats <laughs> and uh, we kind of hit it off and a little while afterwards he asked me um, if I'd like to work with him at Roadburn, which I've been doing for uh, 70, 17 years I was going to say, uh, for seven years now I think. Um, and. Uh, yeah, it's my job has sort of evolved. I started off as sort of the publicist and um, now sort of taking on some additional duties as well. Um, working alongside Walter doing some of the booking. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a journey, uh, but now we're here. That's amazing. And I, I love hearing how, you know, you kind of got involved in this. Um, so can we kind of rewind back? You brought up the magazine, Walter. Let's go from the very beginning how the festival became a thing um, and how it kind of evolved over time to where we're at now. I started at, at, at a magazine, like a metal magazine called Meltdown. It was like a, 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 a metal magazine in Dutch. And that magazine um, transformed into like a, 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 a magazine called What Magazine. And that was in the early 90s. And um, I was merely, merely writing about like a lot of the grunge stuff and everything, but I was also very interested in like lots of the old stuff, like uh, the Blue Cheer and like Blue Cheer and Black Sabbath and 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 and, and like the like the like the early doom bands like Trouble and Sin Fighters and Cathedral. Like Cathedral was uh, is from a, a little bit later, but still, I was already listening to those bands and Paradise Lost and. I started to notice that there were kind of similarities between these bands and the emerging stoner bands like Caius and Monster Magnet, that there was a, like like a shared like love for like past bands and moving forward too. And I asked the editor if I could start writing about that. And he was very interested like in what I had to say about all this kind of music. So I started to write about stoner rock and doom like early 90s already and started to know like the people in, 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 in many of these bands that were really active uh, back then, like the first generation, uh, like like stoner bands. And when the magazine called it a day in 1998, I was still sitting on like a lot of articles 
and still having, I, I knew so many people within the scene and a friend of mine who was like a, a, a computer wizard, he already was building websites in 1996 and he said like, I'm, I feel so sorry for you. I will build you a website where you can post all the articles that you still have and that you're sitting on so that everything you did is not lost. I wasn't aware of websites or how that worked or anything like that. Then Jürgen joined me. Jürgen was also a part of the magazine and both Jürgen and I and a friend of ours, Peter, we started Roadburn. It was basically Peter building us a website to share our articles. No more, no less. And then in early 1999, uh, another friend who had a bookings agency, he called me and he said like, hey, we have Orange Goblin and Terra Firma and Cathedral doing a tour. And they want to do three uh, shows in the Netherlands. What if we hook them up with three Dutch bands and call it like the Roadburn Festival? And we were like, oh, okay, what's that all about? And then we sat down and were talking and we wanted to um, convey the, the look and feel of the website on stage. And that were all like a really our humble beginnings. Not, nothing fancy, just six bands at one night. Another friend was like a, a, a video artist and uh, he made some like beautiful video footage that we projected behind the bands. And we just wanted to recreate what bands like Rockwind and all these bands in the 60s and 70s had done. And that was our aim to honor the past and uh, yeah, to honor the forefathers and uh, also um, offer some of the, the cutting edge bands back then a stage as well. And that's how we started. And over time, the event has grown pretty, pretty significantly in the most amazing way. Um, and it started to include uh, panels, films, and also beverage showcases as well. How how did those things become incorporated into the festival? Oh, that, that's a good question. I think uh, Becky is quite responsible for uh, uh, some of that. Uh, Becky, maybe you can tell how that all came together. I think some of it was there before I started uh, um, working for Roadburn because I remember, um, I think it was the year before I worked for Roadburn, I was there and I was on a panel um, and uh, the topic we were discussing was what makes a classic album and uh, we had quite a heated debate about it um, but um, yeah I think so I think the beginnings of the um, side program were def definitely there before I, I started but um, I think like other elements of Roeburn it's kind of they, it takes on a life of its own and um it's definitely grown and i think even how you do we, we were discussing recently actually like side program almost does it an injustice because it we we kind of gave it it's been referred to as that the side program because it's the non-musical part of it and we wanted to differentiate but side program makes it sound like an afterthought and it very much is not an afterthought because um over the last few years, we've had yeah panels, um, uh, Q and A sessions. We've had exhibitions. We've had um, yeah, we had Roadburn Cinema for a few years. We weren't able to do it last year because um, we used a different space. Um, so yeah, it's kind of taken on a bit of a life of its own. And 
I guess the way we sort of view it is that it it kind of adds a bit of context to what we're doing with the musical program. I think I think I don't know. Would you agree, Walter? I think that's the best way of explaining yes. it. Yeah, we want to add some extra layers to the festival and uh, uh, being able to ask artists and bands about their artistry and also have uh, uh, offer the opportunity for attendees to partake in this. And I think I feel it blurs like the boundaries between each and every one of, uh, at Roadburn. And I, I think that that was the main um, the main goal to explore this this part of Roadburn even more, as we I want think, to. I'm sorry, I was just going to say I think one of the things that's nice about Roadburn, which I noticed the very first time I came, is that there isn't the, a divide really between the performers and the attendees. Um, you will be watching a band at the main stage, and you'll be stood next to. A band that's going to play in the main stage in a couple of hours um and you know there's not sometimes there's not a lot going on backstage because there's no bands there <laughs> because they're all out watching other bands and that's always something that's been um quite i think a nice thing about roburn but in some ways i think the um side program it sort of enhances that relationship and sometimes when we do something like a q a or a panel and we open things up for the audiences to ask questions. Sometimes people are a bit shy, but I think that, um, I think sometimes the artists are surprised by like, they, they have quite a nice rapport. They open up in ways that they don't normally. And they kind of, you know, you get to see a different side of the artists and the um, attendees do respond well to it. But again, quite often at sort of Q and A sessions, there'll be other members of other bands there asking questions of their <laughs> their favorite musicians. It's quite sweet in a way. So yeah, I think it, but I think it just uh, provides a bit of extra context, context to what we're doing, but what those artists are doing, it gives the artists an opportunity to um, discuss their work and um, talk about what they're doing um, when we do panels. Um, but yeah, we've also had like a, a visual art component which has grown a lot over the last few years. We've always had um, um, poster artists and Walter puts a lot of time and care into choosing those poster artists, but um, the exhibition sort of element of that has grown a lot in the last few years. And again, it's just another platform for um, creative people to showcase what they do. And we really enjoy allowing them the freedom to do that in different ways. So yeah, I think side program. I don't think we should call it that anymore. We'll have to figure out what to call it though. <laughs> it uh, it it is uh, a something that was one of the things that struck me uh, as well as an attendee was that the festival is like activation free, so to speak, and that um, instead of seeing an advert for like a charging station, it's you can actually uh, attend a Q and A or. Uh, be more sort of immersed in a band or in some type of component of what paints the larger picture of the festival and of the maybe the culture uh, within music. And I think that um, for the people that come to Roadburn, uh, they're generally like pretty curious people. And so it's a it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing to offer that to people and uh 
you've uh, when you're looking at sort of adding content to the festival that's non-musical, what are some things that uh, that you see out there that maybe you've thought of uh, adding in the future? That's a good question. Now, I, I know that we were approached by a couple of well-known tattoo artists over the years, and I have seen um, tattoo stations at different, uh, different metal festivals all over Europe, but I, I, I'm still a bit reluctant. It's because how can you keep things very uh, clean and uh, how can you maintain the safety and, and, and health regulations and, and, and keep the hygiene up to par when you have a good shop? And that's the reason why we still don't have it. We have a well-known Dutch tattooer living in Tilburg, like he's well-known also like in the world. And he, I had a couple of talks with him and he said, yeah, maybe I can host one or two people at my shop to keep everything yeah, health, safe and healthy. And it's something that I would love to incorporate, but just don't know how to do it. As I don't want to offer like people the chance to get tattooed by well-known artists just on a table in the merch hall or something. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the right environment. And I have been approached by video artists for installations, light artists to do beautiful light, light kind of sculptures outside. And it's something we would love to explore further. And it should be incorporated even more in the festival but we still are looking for the proper ways to do it and have the grants and everything. It needs to be on par with the musical part of Roadburn. And we, we set ourselves quite a high standard for things. And I want that kind of things on the same level. Yeah. It's a difficult question, to be honest. I think like to answer it in a, a slightly, I guess, broad away like what do we look for it's something that like can enhance what is already there can enhance the musical program and like i say I keep using the word context but to add more context to the people that are there but as walter says like we want whether it's an art exhibition or a, a panel or a, showing a film we want it to be able to do it in a way that does justice to the 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 product that's being exhibited or the person that we're showcasing, we don't want it to be something that is disappointing for them or disappointing in comparison to everything else at Roadburn. So, um, yeah, I think feeling confident that it's something that we can deliver and that something that does justice to it, I think is definitely a key component to it. As far as sort of the, the vision, I think this is, uh, you know, for the festival beginning uh, as a zine and a magazine and then growing into promoting events and then finding a home. Um, tell us a little bit about sort of if the vision has changed over time or how different sort of opportunities over time uh, to grow, if those have clarified your vision of what this is or changed it. Uh, I think it's, you know, when you started this event, Walter, you didn't, did you envision, you know, a skate park and, you know, uh, you know, 5,000 plus people 
you know, being involved in this, like where, where, where were some of the highlights along the way that, <laughs> that may have uh, enabled the shifting visions? It's, I, I, I envision, did envision anything, to be honest. It was like, we were happy to pull it off. Like the proudest thing we pulled off at the, uh, that we tried to pull off in at the first edition was to like have a, a, a live net, like broadcast on internet that we could like offer like a live stream for one show, whether it be video and audio or audio only. That was our main goal. Like Jürgen uh, was pioneering back then at a network with like uh, webcasts as they were called back then. And that was the only thing we envisioned. So the first couple of festivals were literally all about webcasts, audio webcasts, and suddenly things changed. We got like, we started to know, know more people. And then in 2015, 2000 and, uh, 2005, I mean, sorry, in 2005, we already did like the 10th Roadburn Festival. In the beginning, we, we did multiple festivals a year, but festivals were like between brackets, like we had three, four bands a night and that was it. And we called it a festival. And in 2005, um, a friend of mine was the in-house promoter of the O13. He, he was kidding a little bit and he said, hey, it's the 10th Roadburn Festival. Let's do 10 bands, four on the main stage, four in, uh, three in the green room and three in the, in the bat cave to, uh, and then have a proper festival. Of course, we ended up with like 16 bands at one night but all the stars were aligned at that festival because we we had like uh, things like Space Ritual, ex Hawkwind members, and Brent Bjork, and 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 some of the more like uh, Space Rocky, Stoner kind of things. But in the green room, we had like Alabama Thunder Pussy, uh, Sun High on Fire, and Electric Wizard never played together at, at, at one night in Europe back in 2005, like um, High on Fire was making waves. Um, Suno was making huge wave. Electric Wizard was already the, the, the quintessential cult doom band back then. And suddenly we had a thousand people from all over Europe. And we were more like still inclined to the more space rock kind of things. And we were shocked as thousand people wanted to cram in a 350 capacity green room to be witnessing those four bands. And not everybody wanted to go in the main stage. And we, we had a amazing festivals, but it did realize like, oh, wait a minute, we can incorporate the more heavy things a little bit more like the more droney bands or post-rock bands and that we did in 2006 as well. And then suddenly we had something, oh, there is another world than the heavy stoner and doom world. There is like heavy psych, there is like post-rock. We have the neurosis, like bands like neurosis. And we have, we, we have bands that are like more inclined to the stooges and that kind of things. And suddenly we opened up to that world in 2007 with having the Melvins uh, headlining one day and the Roses the other day. And that's changed literally everything. The 2007 festival blew the doors wide open. And then we started to realize, 
okay, we can go in many directions uh, as we want, as it is still uh, represents heavy music. And that's what we did. Again, no blueprint, just good feeling and being and pioneering at the right time and uh, at the right place without knowing it, mm -hmm. so to say. Because we were happy to have like Electric Wizard and uh, Sun and uh, Alabama Thunder Pussy and High on Fire at that one place. But we couldn't imagine the uh, how it would uh, resound with, uh, how you say, how, how it, shook, it shook the scene to the core, having those bands at once at one night. We were just having, we love these bands, would be great to, uh, to see them. So everything went very gradually and on a, in a very organic way, though we are now aware of the festival and uh, uh, the impact of the festival. So now we are, are a bit more careful and uh, think about the concept and talk a lot about the bands that we are booking. It, it, it's, it's still super spontaneous, super based on gut feeling but we were, are a little bit more aware of what people expect from Roadburn mm -hmm. compared to the early beginnings. And, yeah. and, and, and to close it off, having uh, worked with Hawkwind, uh, Tom Warrior of Celtic Frost and Voivod, like already main, main influences on my musical taste from forever, biggest dream come true. And for you, Becky, as uh, as a prior uh, festival goer for Roadburn and now someone who works within the festival, how has your perception changed over time? Um, and how do you feel your vision of Roadburn has been incorporated since your time being involved? Hmm. Um, I guess um, the origins of Roadburn, as Walter was just describing them with the sort of stoner rock bands um they were still present when i attended roadburn but i wasn't going to roadburn back in 2007 <laughs> um and earlier so um i think by the time i started going to roadburn um the sort of the parts of roadburn which i think have flourished in the last uh i guess 10 years um were already present like they were you know the exploring heaviness in like different facets of heaviness and um expanding the sorts of genres that are covered those sorts of things were already starting to happen and i think over the last maybe five years that has i think accelerated um in terms of <laughs> my vision of roadburn i don't really know like i i don't really think i certainly didn't have a vision of what i wanted roadburn to be or do because it, it's in my head i guess it's something that existed long before I was involved. Um, I don't, I sort of, I feel, um, I feel proud of what we do and I, I love being a part of it, but I sort of see it as a festival that is, um, I don't know, it's like, it was like, although Walter sort of says it, like he didn't have a, a vision or a blueprint. I still think that he, he is the artistic director with it's his vision even if it's not always clear what that is um and um a lot of what we do comes down to gut feeling and response responding to what's going on at any given time and um 
where there are exciting things happening and picking up, trying to pick up on them early um, and get in there and showcase them in the way that we think we can do um, best. But it's weird. I think I asked Walter quite recently, like, What's, what do you think, what difference do you think it's made having me at Roadburn? Because <laughs> I couldn't figure it out myself. I was like, oh, I'm not really sure if I've made that much of a difference. Um, but I think, I think Walter and I, uh, well, we're different ages and we're from different backgrounds, different countries. We have different points of reference. And although we definitely have a crossover in the sort of music that we both like, we do have different tastes in music. So I, 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 I guess it's hard to see because I think I'm probably a bit too close to it. But I guess my taste probably has seeped in a little bit over the last couple of years <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, I sort of think Roadburn is like forever shape-shifting and evolving. And um, I don't think that there's necessarily any band or any genre or any scene that could not be represented at Roadburn. It just depends on the context and the timing and how we sort of piece it together and how we present it. I think it's a very eclectic festival. Um, I think... I think anything could work. Um, it's just how we make it work that is the challenge. Mm -hmm. And also, like, if there is a vision, at least, like, call it a starting point of what we are doing. We will, we will, would, we, we want to be a reflection of what's going on in in the underground. Like, we, yeah, it's 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 words like, like we we are looking for the bands, the the urgent bands, the cutting edge bands, and I know it's like almost hollow kind of phrases, but we really want to um, each and every year, Roadburn should be a reflection uh, uh, of what is going on in the underground, how the underground has grown, or what is literally happening, and where there is pockets of scenes that are doing something new. We always want to be a reflection of that and. It's, it's based on gut feeling about what we hear from others, from podcasts to uh, uh, posts and, and Twitter feeds and everything. But we still want to have like, we, we, we still want to be at the forefront of, uh, or at the front line of the interesting musical and, and artistic um, endeavors in the underground that still what what it comes down to i think mm -hmm. yeah yeah it, it's uh it's amazing how much the finger on the pulse uh roadburn has of the of the heavy world and also i think that uh one of the things that roadburn does best is sort of introduce people to new ideas of what is heavy and by including them in your space you're sort of endorsing them as a heavy idea in some way. I think that um, what sort of Roadburn does and what Kathy does at Sergeant House are sort of uh, pushing the boundaries in some way of what uh, the sort of conventional ideas of what heavy music is in the sense that um, our sort of like orthodox vision of what heavy is, is like blast beats and people screaming. <laughs> and I mean, that the, there's no doubt that that, uh, you know, is physically heavy to listen to. Um, but there's also other sort of forms of expression that carry heavy emotion or that can 
um, you know, equally be weighing, uh, but coming from a different sonic angle. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I want to, uh, like explore this space a little bit with, with you in the sense. So, uh, Walter, you sort of pointed to 2007 as a turning point for the festival in that you were presenting some different forms of heaviness and you were, uh, making a nod to some things that were happening in the underground and that it was the sort of the right thing at the right time. Um, since then, uh, how does your sort of definition or imagination of heaviness uh, change? And when you look back at that, uh, were there other things happening that were also sort of uh, heavy that you didn't see coming? Uh, back then, at, at least what I didn't see coming is the whole um, the resurgent or like not a resurgent, but like it's the whole the dark electronic scene uh, as of now. That is something I had never envisioned for Roadburn. If you look at at, 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 at at like things like Boy Harsher and, and all these kind of bands, but also like Lustmord and Over in a Way. And it, it, it's the, the whole combination of like dark electronics, post-punk, but also the bands that harken back to like the god culture of the 80s and pair that with the heaviness of Roadburn. That was really something I didn't envision at all. Uh, for Roadburn, or did I envision all that had would become such a um, cornerstone for the underground right as we speak? And I was more like back then uh, looking at like the bands that were actually being influenced by Melvin's Neurosis. So you suddenly came with, with like with Isis and Red Sparrows. And we got like really immersed in the post-rock scene, which we really explored. Then we, of course, explored like the the, 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 the psychedelic jam bands that were really rooted in like Grateful Dead and Hawkwind. And suddenly it was like the, the we came across the psych bands that were firmly rooted in the in, in, in the crowd rock uh, uh, scene. And and then over time, we started to like even this, started to discover like singer-songwriters that were heavy in their own uh, in their own right. We started to explore a little bit of, of free jazz, and 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 suddenly, uh, year by year, we opened up to many more things. And of course, like uh, things also changed when we have Swans headlining Roadburn because they were like basically. The, the main band in that heavy noise kind of scene that we didn't really embrace. But when we started to notice, hey, there's a lot of road burners uh, embracing that band, we were like, hey, we can also explore the noise scene a little bit. And, and little step by step, we um, added more and more uh, different facets of heaviness to the festival. And now suddenly, there is so much going on in like either the dark electronics, the post-punk, but there is a whole resurgence of like grindcore and death metal and especially all these young kids and young bands adding so much new vigor to this to this genre. And Becky is really good at it and, 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 and spotting bands in, in, in those scenes. I'm stuck like with Carcass and like Morbid Angel and all these bands and Suddenly, there was young kids, 18 years old, like the band Null. It's these 18-year-old kids 
picking up on that, giving it a modern twist and like, holy fuck, it's, oh, sorry. Oh, you're good. <laughs> uh, it's, it's more like, it's these young kids take that heritage and take it into the future. They pushing it forward. Oh, so exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Becky, uh, uh, can you uh, riff with uh, riff on what Walter said a little bit? Like, how are you? What are you looking at as heavy? And like, uh, has the your work with Roadburn expanded your own horizons in some way? It also sounds like there's a, a dialogue occurring where you're helping expand Roadburn too. Well, I think um, we've been discussing this a bit lately, actually, when we're looking into the future and sort of. Um, realizing that there are areas where um maybe i have more in-depth knowledge of a particular scene and and vice versa so i would say an obvious sort of example of that is walter comes from a very like psych background and that's definitely a blind spot for me doesn't mean that i don't enjoy it or that some of the bands that we've we've had at roadburn um have been amazing but they would not have been on my radar probably if if it wasn't for Roburn. and i guess even if i was just an attendee that would apply um but um yeah i guess um it kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier that we are from different backgrounds and uh i live in the uk he lives in the netherlands uh, with different ages like we have different points of reference um but i think yeah, there is definitely common ground and sometimes we discuss like what does heaviness mean <laughs> and is this really is this a heavy band does it need to be a heavy band like could it work alongside bands that are similar that are definitely heavy and we sort of look at heaviness from many many different angles and um you know i would say the the common thread through everything is this sort of ethereal notion of what heaviness is and that def the definition of that is is hard to pinpoint and we probably bend it to be what we want it to be <laughs> sometimes um and we're like this band does work i think they work you know and then it, we kind of shape other things around it and i think the dark electronics thing that walter was just talking about um i think there are some bands that kind of do a lot of <laughs> lot of work for us that kind of help bridge that gap, like a band like Health, um, who have definitely have roots in um, heavy music, but um, and a lot of their music is heavy, and no matter which way you look at it, I think. But they're an electronic band, and they don't necessarily would we wouldn't normally be found at a metal festival, yet they fit in alongside metal bands. Um, so yeah i think it's um i think also to bring in the context of like working outside of roadburn i think that um people's music tastes are not necessarily um restricted to genre although people might describe themselves as a metalhead or you know have grown up listening to psych or stoner rock or whatever that might be their you know their main sort of thing but people don't just i think in in the main don't just listen to one um genre of music and it's kind of like i don't know if you looked at my record collection or walter's record collection it wouldn't just be all one genre and i think in a lot of ways roban represents that that it's it's a 
eclectic, but it's only as eclectic as our tastes and therefore as eclectic as anyone else's taste. It could bend and shape in any direction. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's a lot to explore. We've already explored a lot, but I still think there's a lot more to come. And I'm sure in in future, in the future, I think that there will be bands that will work at Roeburn, which wouldn't work at this point in time because some of the bands that we've had in the last couple of years would have been completely a disaster if we'd have had them 10, 15 years prior. So um, Roeburn evolves, but so does, I think, people's perception of what Roeburn can be, but also their perception of music, heavy music. Um, and just just to go back one second to what I was saying about like, health, I think, you know, they did they did something with Full of Hell and things like collaborations like that also help introduce um, uh, listeners to different, you know, a, a band that's into a, a fan that's into one of those bands is introduced to something else and they're opened up to a whole new world and they can go off exploring. And I think uh, not to sound too cheesy, but I think that's the beauty of um being a music fan that especially in this day and age that the the number of avenues you can pursue and the different routes you can take to explore music are, are literally endless and what we represent at Roburn is just a, a small part of that we just bring some bits of it together and hope they work <laughs> and, and hope people will journey along with us yeah I mean they're definitely there for it <laughs> yeah I was I was gonna say that as this festival has kind of taken more uh, more real estate and more venues in in uh, Tilburg as well, that you you can expand by booking these bands that are enormous stature, but that may not be what people are expecting at Roadburn, or there may not be many of those bands in the space that you're in in the first place. And so by uh, incorporating and being accepting uh, and embracing of groups from uh, that express themselves in so many different ways, you're allowing people uh, a, a little bit more uh, space to come in in the first place to Roadburn. And also you're not treating people as categories and their interests as categories, which is like the the business of music often tends to view people as uh, different pies of certain interests and that uh, your example of like what does the record collection that you're sitting behind Walter like that is precisely what that is is that people can't be viewed as categories they're complex and they have a lot of different uh, sources of inspiration this whole record collection is just only a very small part of my collection and it 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 it, it, it varies from from like every angle it's i have it's not even to pinpoint whether it's heavy or not it's uh, you can pinpoint my collection about my personal taste in music whether that is 60 singer songwriters or 60 singers to like uh, the extreme metal kind of thing and it's everything in between it's all based on the mood I'm in, and that, that that that's what 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 we want to be at Roadrun. We want the main um, I think the main objective is we want to give artists a platform to excel and express their artistry in a way they envision, and we want to give the attendees, as you say, the space to 
explore it and enjoy it, not by category, not by uh, demography or something. It's literally, we just want to bring all these curious people together. As I think, if there was one thing that defines Roadburn is the curiosity for all things heavy from both, from all angles, artists, staff, attendees, it's about the curiosity and to open up to it. I think also in addition to that, I think we really kind of, we, we value the artists that perform regardless of whether they are brand new. We have bands making their live debut sometimes at Robo, which I'm sure is probably terrifying, but we have um, <laughs> bands like playing their first or second shows at Roadburn all the way through to people who've been performing for 30 or more years and from different scenes, different backgrounds, uh, people who come with, you know, full like entourage of um, tour managers and people who turn up on their own with a laptop to do their thing. Like there's so much, there's so much like variation in the sorts of people that come to play at Roadburn and we value them all equally. They all bring something and it's part of the reason why when we um, make announcements, we put a lot of care and attention into presenting the bands, regardless, again, whether it's like we're announcing that this band even exists, we're literally introducing a band to somebody for the first time, or it's a, a veteran or a, a sort of um, a somebody that's been around for a really long time and we're sort of championing them, like what, where they are in their career then. And, but we still put, we try to provide context for it and like really like present them and try to demonstrate why we wanted them to be with us at this edition of the festival now and why they're relevant. And but yeah, we we try and really um, have equal value for the people that are there that because everybody plays a part in making Robo and what it is. And sometimes um, I always think that the you know no two people come to Roben and have the exact same experience and um somebody could spend the uh, their entire weekend in the hall of fame in the skate park whereas somebody else could spend their weekend at the main stage and they're, they're just worlds apart but there are lots of people that are in between that and i just think that um everybody finds their own path through Roben and uh, there's a lot to explore yeah, uh, I think one of my favorite things whenever I see the lineups is just how diverse it is from coming down to genre and then veteran status too. you know, as you brought up there, you see bands where it is their first time ever playing. And I think um, there were actually a few we were supposed to go in uh, 2020. There are a few that I really enjoyed the release, their first release and their only show that year was Roadburn. And I was just like... <laughs> holy shit, like, I need to go to that, you know? And, you know, on top of that, other bands that I would never have an opportunity to see in the States, like um, Emma Ruth Rundle curating the, the I, I forget what it was called, but either way, Sylvain, she was doing a solo set, and I was just like, on top of never being able to see her here, her doing a solo set was just something that was... Um, a unique experience and uh so what what kind of goes into uh booking bands for roadburn what 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 is it that strikes a band for both of you that makes it interesting makes you want them at the festival 
And I know that's that's a loaded question. <laughs> that is a loaded question and a difficult one. Basically, I think if I can speak uh, for myself, Becky, it comes down to good feeling as well. Like, of course, we want bands to be on a certain level. We want to have bands that have like um, have this like spark of creativity. It's an artistic band. It's musically challenging. It, it, it's a band that actually stands on its own. I don't know exactly how to say it. It's a very fine line. But you know, when you hear certain bands, uh, those bands strike a chord with you. You immediately fall in love with a band. Like, and I think that is still, for me, one of, of the main, um, the, the, uh, that the band strikes a chord. And then I fall in love, that I literally listen, have uh, butterflies in my stomach, and that I'm like behind my computer going completely apeshit for a <laughs> song or two or three on the album, and that you literally have, this band needs to be on Roadburn. I want others to feel the same or experience the same and have a chance to at least see them and make up and can make up their mind whether they like it or not. But it comes down to good feeling. It comes down to good albums. It comes down to what Becky and I talk about. It, 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 it's this, it's a very complex formula. <laughs> formula. Yeah. But I think over the years, like people have definitely, I've, when I started working for Robo and people would sort of ask that, like, how do you, how does Walter choose these bands? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like when I first started, I was like, I have no idea how he reaches this. And I think probably over the years, I've become able to understand the way Walter's mind works a bit better. But I can't really pinpoint it that much e easier now. Like, I can't really articulate it. And I think what Walter says is right, that there's a lot of gut feeling. But it is about, like, as we said before, sort of like reading what's going on and trying to figure out which bits can we can do justice to which bits need that platform that we, um, yeah and it, it is it's really hard to sort of um it's not I guess it's um it's a lot more complicated than I don't know if um, I mean I'm sure you have done this I think most people have gone who would be my ideal festival lineup <laughs> and um you know you you choose your favorite bands but it's not about that it's not about choosing your favorite bands it's about choosing the bands that work at that point in time and work with each other and complement each other complement what we're trying to do um so that we can do justice to for them but they can do justice to what we're doing as well so it's very much like a two-way street i think um it, a lot of it's down to timing there, there is no way really to like <laughs> you couldn't write down the formula for how you choose a roadburn band and sometimes we literally ask each other that question but is it a roadburn band and, and yeah and, and sometimes we don't know and we have friends and other people sometimes becky or i have to check with friends like i love this band but it seems i'm the only one do you <laughs> think it fits at roadburn or like uh sometimes we, we we have like sometimes it's just difficult like for instance i love orville peck i love that album but mm -hmm. would he fit at roadburn i really don't know and for my instance, one of those I'm, is perfume genius <laughs> 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 like, oh, perfume genius 
but it's it's like Becky and I and and, and others around uh, uh, revolving around us. We talk about these things like for a year ago, I would never have listened to Perfume Genius, but Becky started to talk about it. Uh, a good friend and uh, a friend, friends of mine from Portugal started to talk about it. I started to listen to it and I was like, this is exciting music, but he is not like, oh, he's really cutting edge. I understand why he's making waves. And then suddenly you start to discover a world like underneath the popularity of Perfume Genius. And then you st suddenly start to get in touch with like Held, Boy Harsher, all these bands. And then you have something like, wait a minute, but he is leading us to mm -hmm. uh, bands that would fit Roadburn. And that's that, That's how like we also pick lineups, like completely inspired by... Uh, and I know that Becky would love to see jo Joelle and Monet at Roadburn. Oh yeah, I love Janelle Monet. <laughs> 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 wouldn't fit, fit Roadburn, but the, like for the moment, the ones that Becky was talking about her, I was telling her like she was at Glastonbury two years ago. I saw her show on TV and I went bonkers because it was so good. And then I think if we did just pick our favorite bands based on our favorite albums, you'd have a pop festival probably. <laughs> that doesn't mean that we don't listen to the heavy music, but it's like we know that like Janelle Monet doesn't really belong at Roburn. Um, we can accept that, but um, it doesn't mean that there's not like it sound, might sound far fetched, but it doesn't mean like there was plenty of music, and you only have to look at some of the electronic artists that we were had for 2020. There's definitely like pop influence in there. And so therefore, does pop music belong at Roburn? Yes, is the answer. Just Janelle Monet, probably not. But um, but yeah, it's I don't think that anything is officially like off limits. Like it's, you know, again, I can reconcile myself with the idea that Perfume Genius may not ever play Roburn, but it's it, it doesn't mean that the influence of that artist is not reflected in what we're doing um so yeah i think anything can be an inspiration for it sure it, it, it's just difficult if you look what dominic Proyant is doing with his hospital production that's really cutting edge when it comes to underground electronics like and i'm like definitely in awe uh, he's a trailblazer but it's we can only pick a little bit out of like his trailblazing uh, adventures what food fit at roadburn or the it, it, it's still like difficult, but we use a lot of music as as inspiration for at least our talks about mm -hmm. events that would fit fit Roadburn. And yeah. sometimes I don't dare to book certain bands. And I'm as people who know me, sometimes I'm super afraid. Sometimes I I doubt so much that it takes me months and months to make a decision, and then we lose the momentum because I just simply didn't have the guts to proceed with certain bands. It, mm. it, it's always like a very fine line. Uh, what makes a band, uh, what makes uh, that a band fits like a particular Roadburn lineup. Mm -hmm. Sure. That, and on top of that as well, uh, you know, in relation to some of the uh, issues with categorization that we were alluding to earlier is that uh, pop music that same group that could be considered pop, you know, changes depending on what it's around within the lineup as well. Right. So, yeah. uh, then your, your, uh, the curation of what that day looks like and who, you know, that band's neighbors are for the weekend, 
um, changes the perception pretty dramatically. And I kind of want to add on to that too. We're seeing this really, for me, awesome resurgence in a new wave that, that, you know, classic eighties style electronic synthesizer keyboard. Um, and people are doing it in a really cool and heavier way. Um, and I think it brings this new pop element that, uh, is darker and in, in a more sinister way than, you know, yeah. what, what you would have heard in the eighties. And I like that Roadburn curates that. And like you were saying, they, they, you orchestrate it around other bands to where they like, if someone were to listen to that by itself, they might think, whoa, little, little dark, but still catchy. But then you hear it in context with other things and it immediately has that, that ear catching appeal. Not to just obsess about Perfume Genius, but um, <laughs> when I listened to his, the last album, and I think it's the, the opening track on the album, the first first lyric of this album, which is is quite upbeat, is half of my whole life is gone. And it's like, can you not just imagine a doom band singing that lyric? Like, so what is, like, again, we go back to that question of like, what is heaviness? Like the content of that album is really heavy, but it's presented in this like beautiful, like, upbeat like still melancholic but beautiful like upbeat sort of music and it's like yeah so it's the the, the that pop element can it's can be um obscuring something that is really dark like you say and it's that sort of meshing of different um worlds is you know can be sonically really exciting i think and yeah and as you said uh, sam the whole resurgence of that 80s wavy kind of thing it's back in the 80s it were two different worlds like the heavy world like the metal hard rock world and the god world or the new wave world. it was two separate worlds it now collides and it takes the best things of both worlds and these bands are exciting and though they have like an 80s uh, scope and feel it's definitely cutting edge nowadays because those bands wouldn't have worked in the 80s people wouldn't have understand and now suddenly you have these every is people are aching towards these bands at roadburn you uh, like in 2018 we had sola jesus who's more from the pop god world packed like 1700 people mesmerized by a dark pop singer that we a year before we didn't even dare to book something like that and jake bannon who was the curator he insisted having her at roadburn and also that blue doors wide open in 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 this whole new new world and as you said what becky and i talk a lot when it comes to what is a roadburn band or what is roadburn as you said we are neighboring bands we are pairing bands if we have certain bands like band like a, a heavy band we are looking for that uh, accompanying band that will enhance both of the bands so that people say they have this band oh wow they have the counterpart as well or they have the peers as well so that you literally that's what we do a lot trying to neighbor these bands in 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 in, in, in the setting of roadburn that's maybe the thing that we pride ourselves of we put a lot of time and effort and love into finding these bands that can be accompanied with each other can you give us sort of an, an example of uh what like a successful neighboring pairing has looked like or 
maybe one that was like particularly challenging or noteworthy in conversations between the two of you of, uh, you know, how, how does, how do you fit, make that matrix work? <laughs> You're laughing, I, Becky. So I think maybe if no, no, no. It's more just no, like no. <laughs> thinking about it and trying not to think about some of the conversations we've been having lately and uh, give away what we're planning for next year. Um, uh, let's think. Well, I guess um, the bands that we had again. I feel like we might. I don't want to re- just focus on what we were going to do in 2020, but it's it, it was one of the most diverse lineups in terms of straddling lots of genres but so uh, the the electronic bands that we had there um if we had just had one of those bands three years prior it wouldn't have made sense but everything sort of converged to make it make sense at that time and um yeah boy harsha i think were a key part of that but again even just having like boy harsha and robin 2020 without any of the other electronic bands or um it wouldn't have necessarily made sense um so that's one example i'm trying to think there must be others um like for instance uh in 2018 we had in the psych scene we had a japanese psych experience and the san diego takeover that's a good we one. literally we literally were were like noticing hey there is a real psych resurgence in japan like that whole freeform psych of, of, of the, those laid-back Southern California guys. And we had something, what if we bring them together and build up to it? Like, we have Earthless, we have Kikagaku Moyo, we have Mainami Deutsch, uh, we have Harstock. It's all these counterpart bands. And what if building it up to like that both Earthless and Kikagago Moyo and then some of the others join each other on stage in an East meets West, East meets West psych jam, done from two complete different angles. It's it's that's how we how we partner bands and that's what we are looking for to, mm. to find that that kind of angles. We do the same within the black metal, uh, the roadburn black metal kind of thing, like having or having certain scenes at Roadburn. I remember like a couple of years ago in Tampere, there was this whole scene with Dark, still is, with Dark Buddha Rising and um, um, Oanji Pazuzu and uh, like uh, Kyron Eose and Hex Festival and all these bands. And we brought that whole scene to Roadburn in one weekend so that people could literally experience that. And that's the neighboring bands. We brought the neighboring bands from those cities to Tilburg or what we did with the Icelandic black metal scene mm. to have like at one year like one all of these key members just being at Roadburn and having also their American counterparts together but again that's the difficult thing at Roadburn bringing them all together and pairing them together stars must align yeah mm. I think also this I guess this is sort of a bit of a tangent to the original question, but Walter made me think of it when he mentioned Jacob Bannon there um, wanting to have Zola Jesus. I think when we have curators in in and of itself, a curation um, kind of gives the context for inviting bands that are outside of what we might otherwise have done um, because they come under the umbrella of this is Jacob Bannon's music taste or this is John Baisley's music taste. And 
sometimes um, curators sort of may, may give a bit more of a, a theme or context to their curation, but ultimately that's what it is. It's, it's their taste. It's what that they're what that's the thing. That's the thread that runs through all of those bands. Um, so in some ways, the curators that we have can push the direction of Roburn um, somewhere else for many years after their curation because they open up the door to a different scene or a different kind of music that we haven't necessarily explored and we would be foolish to not notice when that resonates within the Roburn community and um, something as Walter says like Zola Jesus and seeing how people responded to that makes us go okay well it might not be exactly the same musically but Trap Majesty does work at Roburn let's go for that like and um you know we've had there are definitely um you know curators that have pushed things in certain directions or and it is just purely that it's their taste but it does broaden what we're doing and open things up so yes yeah, yeah. and I talk about opening up like just as i start remembering we had Dalek at Roadburn, at, at, like uh, the more dark experimental hip hop act. We had never done hip hop at Roadburn. It, it was a controversial uh, kind of like even controversial for Roadburns for like a lot of attendees. And we had uh, like Dalek playing. The place went bonkers, the Patronat with 650 people. And there was a line for more than 2000 people outside waiting to get in. And I was just gobsmacked like the only thing we heard online were people like uh hip-hop shouldn't belong at roadburn there were some people oh yes the experimental hip-hop would work we just we wanted to have dalek because i had seen him a couple of times and it's like such a good band and it would fit roadburn so well and what happened at roadburn was way beyond our like imagination and suddenly after that year there was fierce discussions online for people asking if we can have clipping at Roadburn or Dead Grips or like a couple of these other like uh, uh, sonic hip-hop explorers and it's then suddenly a whole new world opens up. I think that everyone as much as you know we discuss what constitutes a Roadburn band I think it's a positive that everyone else seems to discuss that too but then you do get a lot of strong opinions there are people that don't think hip-hop belongs at roadburn there are people that come to roadburn and only watch the psych bands um but there are also a lot of people that come in that are very open-minded and will just be like i'll see what's on in the green room and you know just check it out but yeah i think uh what constitutes a roadburn band is a definition that would vary from person to person and you know you would get very very strong opinions i think on some of the bands that we have booked but that's the nice thing as well about it i think that because the festival has grown in terms of the um breadth of the types of bands we book but it is also a multi-stage festival you're not lacking for something to do at any given time and walter spends days of his life putting together the timetable and the amount of love and thought that goes into that and you can't second guess what route anyone is going to take through Roburn but I'd be surprised if you've come to Roburn because there's some bands you like there you're gonna you're gonna be not stuck for something to do if you know there's not something that you like on the main stage um so yeah I think 
it's a complex <laughs> it's a complex question to you know define but um yeah it's ever changing I wanted to uh, jump into the commission sets as well. You had mentioned Walter. You had mentioned the East West um, Kikigayu or Kikigaku Moyo Earthless, and that sort of led me into thinking about the commission sets. So, when did that kind of become uh, a part of the Roadburn experience, and um, like what sort of is involved in those conversations, and what role does trust play in that? Um. It, we started to think about the uh, commission pieces back in 2017. We started, of course, to notice that we had a lot of Roadburn kind of clones, copy, copycats going around, which is, of course, very flattering. But like with so many like-minded festivals now, um, you want to distinct, uh, distinct, distinct, to be distinctive, and um we have always been at the forefront and sometimes that got a bit harder because of the competition because of some of the festivals that have like-minded lineups have way more money to spend and 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 we had something we need to be creative and let's create music that people can only hear and see for the first time at roadburn let's put trust in these musicians that we really admire that we really um, that we really want to help out to grow as people and as musicians and help them out uh, 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 having a chance to uh, to compose music and, and and to explore their artistry and that was the main the main incentive to start with the commissioned music pieces like literally like okay let's merge two bands, two artists together from like either the same world or different worlds and ask them to compose like, uh, to compose uh, music, especially for Roadburn and uh, uh, giving us the premiere of it. And there's a lot of work uh, involved with this because it, it it's a kind of novice thing. And it, it's also like expensive to ask bands to put time aside and, and, and only like, work on a commissioned music project that is only like presented like for the first time at Roadburn and you don't know whether it will will get another lease of life and um, there's two things there is a lot of work to get the grants for it that is like extremely hard work and to actually pitch the ideas to the bands and make sure that bands feel comfortable and we are overwhelmed by what happened so far that like almost every one of the bands and artists that we approached said yes immediately like all the commission pieces as of now came uh, sprung forth of our ideas like it's it's not the music itself but like when we had when i had the chance to do the first commission pieces and authorities said like hey we have gotten grants what would be the first like two commission pieces you want to do and i literally said in a blink of an eye without even thinking i want orangey pazuzu and dark buddha rising coming together and i want the icelandic black metal scene to do something literally like that and 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 that came so it came together and with with tom warrior with uh, that he could complete like the requiem that he started with celtic frost 
was born out of completely different reasons. But uh, I just asked him like, hey, if you got the opportunity and we could help out, would you consider to uh, um, 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 complete the requiem, which he did. And it, it, it comes down on finding the right artistic concept and the right bands and musicians that want to take take on such a commission. And it's, it's not easy because, as you said, you have to put a lot of trust in, uh, in, in people that they want to do it and put so much effort in this. But we all want to do it for them to grow as, as artists, as musicians, as human beings, and help them to like grow as, as a band too. And that's basically the whole idea behind it to help to elevate elevate these this people to the next level. And we elevate Roadburn to the next level is, is simultaneously as well. Wanted to know a little bit about, one, the sort of uh, impact that Roadburn has on Tilburg. I understand that the O13 venue is an attraction for, uh, for bands that go through and that live music is a part of the economy there uh, in general. Um, and I'm also sort of curious about the grant process that you alluded to, um, because Roadburn isn't as advertising driven as other events. And so I was curious about, um, you know, how grants and public funding plays into uh, the ability that you have to uh, execute the ideas that you uh, envision. First about Tilburg, like, I'm just very happy with Tilburg, like, uh, the O13 is one of Europe's most state-of-the-art venues and it's it's a stable of Tilburg, it's a stable of the southern part of the Netherlands and Roadburn wouldn't exist without the O13 venue. Roadburn and the O13 venue are like merged together. It's the venue finances Roadburn, like neither me nor Becky would be remotely able to put on a festival like Roadburn. So the, the O13 is, as I said, a stable of the city. Tilburg is the sixth city of the Netherlands. There is no like touristy kind of like necessity to go to Tilburg, but Tilburg has a well-known university and a lot of colleges. So there is many young people uh, uh, flocking to Tilburg to study there and to live there during their college years or the university years. It's about 30 to 50,000 people living there, young people. So for them, the O13 is super important. It's all the bands are coming to Tilburg. It's Tilburg is, 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 is a youthful city. And that makes it, 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 it very interesting. And, and Tilburg has a huge pull on all the small towns uh, in, in surrounding the city as well. So it's basically a city that is has opened up to people coming to the city for different reasons. And uh, therefore they also embrace people from all over the world coming to Tilburg. Uh, uh, Tilburg had also had the Incubate Festival, which also uh, uh, put a lot of, uh, put uh, they, they displayed a lot of cutting edge culture and music and everything. So Tilburg has always been a city where young people and people are, and, and artists are pioneering because it's an open-minded city, and 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 the city of Tilburg just embraces embraces all this. 
And that's the reason why, and of course you have been there. You walk outside the U13 and you walk straight into the Weirdo Canyon with the adjoining bars and restaurants. And you can take your glass of beer outside of the U13 straight into that street. You get into one of the bars or the restaurants, you meet the like-minded people. It's, we couldn't have it like any better than that. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm super happy that uh, the city of Tilburg adopted Roadburn in the way they did. And then it comes to grants. It's the city of Tilburg who gave us the first grants. Who, uh, uh, and it's the grant companies uh, 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 from the southern part of, at first in the southern part of the Netherlands, uh, giving us grants because they saw what we were doing and they saw the impact of Roadburn on the city like uh, economically and cultural and artistically. And they wanted to keep Roadburn a, a, a part of Tilburg and wanted to help us out to um, 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 make sure that we could expand on our like dreams and artistic ideas to, as it has such an off spin on the entire uh, 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 city and neighboring cities and the entire region. It's, it's hard to explain it. it, it it's, it's, it's really hard to explain. But Tilburg is like a really open-minded city when it comes to young people. Yeah. And so uh, kind of looking forward and into the future, um, let's take a step back to last year and kind of look at the cancellation of 2020 due to obvious reasons. Um, and then moving forward into 2022 now, how there's a lot of expectations <laughs> from people um, when you put together the festival. Um, so how do you handle that? Roadburn is very much a festival that takes what's going on at that time and puts it in front of people. It, d does it feel right for you to take elements of 2020 and bring them into 2022? Or does it make more sense to curate the festival towards what is happening in 2022? <laughs> well, that's exactly the conversation that we have been having, really, um, because I guess there are certain elements of Roburn, not just in the last, you know, the, going from 2020 to now, but there are certain um, bands that I guess um, you could say are somewhat timeless that would work in any context. Um, and um, I think we had a few of those on the 2020 lineup. Um, and I think we made it, we kind of said publicly and to the bands that were invited for 2020, um, well, first of the, firstly, what we did was we rolled everything over to 2021. That was our original plan. Um, and it was literally gonna be everything that was happening in 2020 picked up and moved. I think there was maybe one or two bands that wouldn't have been able to make it, had other plans, but that was our original plan. And then when we ended up doing something completely different this year for 2021, the online edition, and we started that from scratch. And then as we sort of worked our way through the process of putting that together, we sort of thought, this is an interesting band that we wouldn't have even known of like when we were booking the 2020 lineup and it became very apparent that a lot of things had moved on um the, that doesn't negate the um quality or the value of the bands that we had in 2020 but being a, a forward-looking festival we have to sort of evaluate which bands still make sense and sometimes that's like i think uh 
obvious to us and other times it's a question that we go over and over and we go does this band still make sense could we book them because it goes back to what we were discussing earlier about the context of them and pairing bands up with other bands and um you know maybe we're starting from a different point with that band like um not all of the bands are available um that we might want for 2022 um so it's just it's a very complex scenario it's not not like anything that it's not it's nothing that we've ever encountered before putting together a festival lineup under these conditions um so it's challenging <laughs> in a whole yeah. host of other ways never mind all of that stuff that we've already discussed in terms of uh context creativity being forward thinking all of that still applies but this time around it's with also the i mean we're hopeful that everything in terms of putting on a festival will be normal by april but i think it would be foolish of us to not have a little bit of caution about what's going to be possible so we're weighing all of those things up at the moment yeah and i i think to be very honest that people should readjust their expectations quite a bit. Like, I think Roadburn 2022 is an in-between year. Like, yes, Europe is opening up, but I think that a lot of people don't still don't understand the magnitude of the pandemic on the underground scene. It's like, for instance, there is 16 months or 18 months of shows, postponed shows, that will happen between like September 21 and December 22. So literally all the major venues or all the, 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 the proper well-known venues in Europe are fully booked for the next 14 months. Like not booked, like completely booked. If you are now thinking like, hey, I, I'm a band that plays a thousand capacity room and I want to tour around Roadburn, you won't get any dates. It's booked. It's completely booked out everywhere. And then it comes, the smaller bands, the, 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 those beautiful underground bands that we embrace. Like, we don't know all these American bands that have to come over by to have flights. We don't know what flights will cost from Europe to the US and vice versa at the moment. Are you traveling with a van and you can only play like squats and like small dives and you get 50 euros an evening? That's not feasible because it's it's... We don't know which which promoters are still in place, which venues still exist in Europe. It's an in-between year. And to navigate this complexity, it's so hard. And we, we are so cautious. We are talking to so many bands and so many people want to tour. And the only thing I'm asking all the time, but are you sure? Where are you going to play? How is it financially uh, uh, viable for you to actually go on tour? Because we don't know what will happen. We don't know what the the the, uh, uh, the autumn and the winter will bring for the pandemic. And I don't want to sound like sounding the alarm or being like this 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 depressive old guy at all. But we uh, we face the reality that we really don't know what the underground is. Uh, how we uh, how resilient the underground is at the moment when everything starts up, and. It, it, it's difficult. It's really difficult to put together a lineup based on reality. I see festivals already announcing complete lineups for like April, May next year. And I'm just wondering like, but 
I know that your top 10 bands have their tours sorted, but 60 other bands, I'm really sure that they are still trying to try and get tours together. Then you talk to bookings agents and, and, and you address this and they say, oh, never mind. Then we postpone the shows. That's what we have been doing for like one and a half years. If the tour is not going to happen, then we postpone them to October 22 or January 23. And they say it like, if it's like the most common thing. And I'm like, but hey, guys, listen, I cannot postpone the festival another year or, or, or postpone the dates to like September, October. That's not possible. So there are a lot of restrictions. Like I think when when people think about restrictions on live music, they think about things like limited capacities in venues or you'll have to socially distance or you have to wear a mask or, you know, those sorts of restrictions. But the restrictions that we're thinking about at this point are it, we want to move forward with like being hopeful that by the time we get to April, none of that will be relevant. But given how we've lived the last year and a half of our lives, we can't discount it entirely until we start having American bands come over here and complete an entire tour with nobody testing positive for COVID, no shows being cancelled because they can't enter a specific country, can't enter a venue until we've lived through a few months of that and it all going smoothly it seems it seems like a big leap from where we are now to everyone just turning up in Tilburg like normal and I think I guess a lot of festivals have the same hope that we do and that's what they're projecting and that's what and we are as well we are hoping for that but we are also trying to be realistic but underneath all of those restrictions we're still planning a Roburn that ticks all the boxes that a Roburn always ticks. We're not going to be restricted by, like, the creativity isn't going to be restricted. Roburn is still going to look like Roburn regardless. And I think in a way we kind of demonstrated that with what we did, what I think we did with um, Roburn Redux, that that was, I guess, the most restricted in many ways kind of Roburn that there could ever possibly have been. Um, and yet to me and to a lot of other people, I think it still was very representative of what Roburn is so I guess if if we sound like we're being very negative about what's coming there is the flip side of that which is that whatever shape it takes whatever restrictions physical yeah. restrictions are in place by the time it comes to it Roburn is still going to be Roburn it's still going to deliver yeah. everything that Roburn always does um we're just being cautious because I think it, it's it's been really difficult of course there is looking at the bigger picture the last year and a bit has been difficult for everybody in every conceivable way and um not to sort of trivialize it from a robo perspective but it's been really difficult um to be communicating this stuff to people and trying to have people understand every all the thought process that goes into this and also i think it's really hard on the artists to be booked and cancelled booked and cancelled booked and cancelled with all their tours and for many of them, it's their livelihood, but for all of them, it's their creative outlet and the anticipation that we feel from those artists that want to come back to Roper and that's enormous too. So we want to be cautious so that what we do put together is going to be good. It's going to be Roper and it's going to be everything that we need and want it to be, I guess. So there is a positive part to the, yeah, really positive <laughs> the part. cautiousness and the negative outlook, I guess. 
on the topic of uh, 2022, we can kind of close on that here. You've announced uh, April 21st to the 24th of uh, 2022 for the next road burn, which is uh, very exciting for people. Um, what sort of parting uh, parting thoughts do you have for uh, for the audience and for people that are kind of thinking about uh, about road burn and about uh, live events? Well, at first, I hope that live events will return everywhere in the world that we can celebrate art, celebrate music, uh, celebrate being together. That That's my main hope at the moment and that we can do it safely, that the pandemic will, uh, will that, that COVID isn't that uh, much of a threat anymore. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping for, as that we can go back to like, like an adjusted world without all the fear that, that we are having now, that that would be the biggest thing that I hope. And everything else is a huge bonus at, at this moment. But like, as I said, celebrating life, celebrating friends, celebrating family, coming together, enjoy each other's company, enjoying art, music, all that. That's what I'm, 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 I'm really hoping, rooting for. And that's what I, that's what we all, what we want to, um, um, that's what Roadburn 22 should all be about, just being in Tilburg together, being able to give each other a hug and just enjoy music and in, 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 in enjoy life. And then hopefully we can pick up and, and, and do crazy things in, in the future and, and just hope that we will be just able to be in Tilburg together with the bands that we love. Ah, <laughs> would love to see that happen. Awesome. Well, uh, Becky, Walter, thank you so much for joining us on Heavy Hops. We look forward to uh, seeing you in 2022, hopefully. I can't wait. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait either. Wait either.